Welcome to the 107th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's audio podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore of the Land Stewardship Project. What do you do when a resource becomes increasingly scarce? One option is to use it more efficiently. That's a cornerstone of Greg Judy's livestock production system. Ag statistics show an alarming amount of pastures falling to the plow and being replaced by annual row crops, which is having negative economic and environmental impacts in rural communities. One way to make keeping pasture around more attractive to landowners is to add value to it. In other words, to generate profits from perennials. That's exactly what Judy is doing in the rolling hills of central Missouri. Around a decade ago, he started approaching landowners and asking them if they'd like to make money on their acres while improving the soil quality. He was going to do this by rotationally grazing cattle on these lands, a method that improves the nutrient cycle while allowing grasses to get established and thrive. The problem was, Judy didn't own any livestock, so he struck a deal with local livestock owners to custom graze cattle through leasing arrangements. Within two years, he was grazing on five leased farms. Judy's investment consisted of high tensile, portable electric fence, and a four-wheeler. The monthly checks he was receiving from livestock owners allowed Judy to pay off his debts. He was also able to build up his own herds of livestock. Today, Judy owns around 300 head of cattle, mostly stalkers and cow-calf pairs. He also owns a sheep herd. He's still renting land and no longer leases livestock, but Judy would recommend custom grazing to any beginning farmer who wants to get started in the livestock business. Judy also recommends the adoption of a variation of rotational grazing called mob grazing. This system puts a large number of animals onto a small patch of pasture for a short amount of time. Judy has found that mob grazing allows him to double the livestock carrying capacity of pastures while improving soil quality and the health of the grass. He feels such a system is adding even greater value to these pastures, both economically and environmentally. Judy recently led two days of workshops in the West Central Minnesota community of Alexandria, where, among other things, he talked about getting started in the livestock business with limited resources and ways of increasing pasture efficiency and environmental sustainability. He also led a pasture walk on an area farm that is utilizing leased grazing on land formerly enrolled in the Conservation Reserve Program. During a break in the workshops, Judy took a few minutes to talk to me about how he reinvented his livestock operation and the opportunities innovative grazing systems offer beginning farmers who want to improve the land and their bottom line. Greg, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was you have talked about how you you got your operation started, got it going where it is today through leased grazing. And some of the conventional wisdom I've heard is people say, well, part of the problem with grazing is if you're going to do it in any, to any extent, you have to own that land, own the livestock. You really kind of turned that on its head. Well, first of all, I was did the conventional road. You know, I went to the bank and borrowed the money and um, bought the farm. Bought the money to buy the machinery. you got to have machinery and raise livestock. That's what I thought. And also borrowed the money to buy the livestock and found out that the interest payments were so high that I never was able to get very much money together for the principal. And so it looked to me like I was going to be in debt for the rest of my life trying to pay off all this in debt. And the one thing that changed all that was there was an article that said your sole purpose in life should be to control the land, not to own the land. And that really hit a chord with me. And so I started looking in my neighborhood, and there's lots of idle land. And it was being just sitting there. wasn't anybody doing anything with it. And so I started approaching the landowners. And what drove me in this, you know, I, had, I was in the economic hardships. I mean, I was just about to lose my farm. 
and it was a very difficult time in my life, and it didn't look to me like uh, ranching was in my future. But once I started uh, approaching these other landowners, I got my first lease, and uh, the people were very happy with what I was doing. I sent them a, I actually took a little video, because they, they lived in Texas. And I took a video of what I was doing. I just taped it myself out in the pasture with my steers, doing a paddock move, showing the grasses and uh, the watering systems, and they just really got excited about what I was doing. And even though they couldn't come and see it, I was able to send it to them. So I got my first lease. Well, I didn't have any money to buy any extra cattle to put on it, and so I started custom grazing. And so people were paying me a, a fee per month to graze their cattle for them. And that really s struck a chord with me. All of a sudden, instead of going to the mailbox each month and picking out bills, now I had a check. So it was just like having a 40-hour-a-week job. You got paid every month in the mailbox. You had a check coming to you. And so basically what I was starting to do was using other people's land, other people's cattle, and I was a management service. I think one of the things that you really... Uh it sounds like that you were able to sell people on was, look, I can improve this land. A lot of this land wasn't being used. It was looking pretty rough. And you were able to kind of come in and say, you want this to look, uh, you know, you, it kind of built on itself. You would get one going, get it looking good, and then say, you know, if you'd like it to look like this, this is what I can do for you. Yeah, that's, you know, once you get that, if you have a place that you can show a landowner, whether it's a, a recreational landowner or a landowner that bought that for hunting or Regardless, if you can show folks with good grazing management that you can actually improve their land and the natural resources on their land, that's a huge that's a huge trading tool to entice people to give you a shot. And so, you know, I tell people, if you ever get somebody in your car and they agree to come and look at your farm, make darn sure it's a pretty nice showpiece. You've got to be a professional at this. You don't want to come off looking like a country hick. So make sure your cattle are where they're supposed to be. You know, you've got, there's no muddy areas. Landowners are turned off by their land turned to mud. If you've got some muddy spots, you know, you need to take care of that. And so the landowners, once they come onto your farm and see what you're doing, they get kind of excited. And there's a lot of landowners that just don't know what the cattle is about until you've got to actually educate them. And that's what we're about. We've got to educate the landowners, get them excited about what we're doing, and get them convinced that, hey, cattle do not destroy land. They actually improve the land. I guess at the core of this is you're not just um, going out and grazing and doing pasture. It's, for one thing, it's uh, rotational management intention, rotational grazing, but, and that's something you started out doing in the early years, but in more recent years now you have done this mob grazing, and that's a, kind of a whole different animal there. <clears throat> well, with rotational grazing, where you're rotating the animals around the farm. We did that for many years, and it was a heck of a lot better than continuous grazing. At least you're giving some recovery periods to the grass to allow it to recover. The problem that we faced with it was we didn't get enough density, so we weren't getting enough trampling on the ground, so we weren't building any litter. A litter bank is grass that the cows refuse to eat. We're getting it trampled on the ground, so it's like a layer of mulch. And, of course, that feeds the soil microbes. It's just like giving your whole farm a layer of fertilizer each grazing rotation. Uh, we've also been, uh, with mob grazing, we've actually been able to double our stocking rate in five years. So we were stocked at about four acres per cow for the entire year. Now we're down to 1.8 acres per cow. 
for the year. So that's a doubling. That's the same thing as somebody writing you a check for an additional farm. Whatever your land base was, you didn't go get any more land. You just made it twice as productive. So that's huge. You know, land is the biggest cost of the beef grazing business or dairy or whatever. If you can double the production on your current land base just with management, I'm sorry, there's nothing out there that'll measure to it. Well, and I think that's an important, become, going to become an even more important message as corn prices go through the roof, land prices go through the roof. Some of the areas you're grazing are maybe more marginal, not prime crop land, but here at where we're at in Minnesota, we're, a lot of farmers are competing for um, just renting land. So if you're able to increase the efficiency or, or the stocking rate, that seems to be a really important uh, tool right now. I really believe staring in the future and not the too distant future, we're, gonna, we're looking at some pretty high fuel prices. There's too many people wanting the oil. There's nobody cutting back on it. Uh, you know, we're burning 20, whatever it is, 30 million, 30 million barrels a day. And India, China, you know, so there's going to be a lot of people wanting this oil. It's going to go up. And unless we can cut our dependence on it on our farms, it's going to be a tough deal to stay in the grazing business. And uh, so with higher corn prices, higher fuel prices, the more weight that we can put on animals on grass, I think that's just going to keep you on the farm. You're going to be a profitable farm. And it's already coming down to that. I mean, the feedlots are, are screaming for higher weight calves. They don't, they don't want that 400-pound calf in the feedlot anymore. They'd like to have an eight or 900-pound calf so they don't have to feed an $8 bushel corn as long. Give me a little rundown of where you're at right now with your operation. You, um, you still lease land, but you're not, you, uh, you've built it up to, to the point where you're owning the livestock. Maybe just get a little rundown of where you're at. Uh, yeah, with the custom grazing, uh, we, used it, <coughs> we used the custom grazing profits to pay our debt off on our cow herd, on our land, and we've actually been able to buy a, another farm from one of our landowners that got in financial difficulties. And so we're up to 11 farms today, and uh, we are out of debt. We own all of our cattle. We have a sheep flock now, uh, about 300 of each. Uh, and we're located in central Missouri. We're about 20 miles north of Columbia, which is the university there. So we're in rolling hills. Uh, we are not in cropland. It's, it's pasture. It, but years ago, it was cropped. And all the topsoil has been washed down into the draws. And so the, crop, the cropping was discontinued and turned back to grass. So that's, you know, that's what I tell people. Uh, land that looks pretty uh, dire, you can bring uh, cattle onto there. And with good management, it doesn't take too long to take a marginal piece of CRP ground uh, or something hasn't been grazed and turn it into a pretty productive grazing enterprise. Um, we, we have today at this, at this grazing workshop, this two days of grazing workshops, a lot of young people, a lot of uh, people who are either beginning farmers or they're just starting to look into it. It sounds like this could be a real option for this, uh, doing the um, least grazing, going around, trying to find some of these marginal lands. Do you see some opportunities? I know you've, you went around, we went on a pasture walk yesterday. Do you see some opportunities even in this area, which is kind of known for corn and beans, for maybe finding some of that marginal land and, and starting out this way? Yes, I do. Uh, we On the farm tour yesterday, we went out the day before and drove around the countryside, and there's a lot of land out there that's pretty rough up and down, and it's got weeds growing on. A lot of it's in CRP, some of it's 
you know, duck habitat, they call it, and uh, the U.S. Wildlife Service has a big chunk out there, a thousand acres. You know, we need to, and their management practice is burning. I'm sorry, but grazing is a lot better way to rejuvenate land than burning. Burning promotes plant spacing. If you want to kill plants, burn it. If you want to improve the, the local economy and raise good food on it and you want closer plant spacing, let's put some cattle on that, and you're going to have better wildlife. We're not talking about turning cattle on a farm and leaving them. We're talking about managed grazing where the cattle are at a certain spot for a certain time, and then you move them. So all we're doing is duplicating what happened on the prairies for thousands of years, these massive mobs of animals moving around, defecating, trampling, and then moving on. That's what we need to be doing to this land to revitalize rural, uh, rural Minnesota, same way in Missouri. There's millions of acres out there that aren't having anything done with it. Let's get it back into production with grass, good grass with cattle, healthy livestock, and let's let the young people get back on the land. Great Judy's workshops are sponsored by, among other groups, the Chippewa 10% Project, which is an initiative of the Land Stewardship Project and the Chippewa River Watershed Project. For more information on profitable, sustainable farming involving perennial plant systems such as grass, see www.profitsfromperennials.org. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or you can call 612-722-6377. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening.